Welcome to No Finish Line, a podcast with John O'Regan, sponsored by Great Outdoors Dublin. Hello and welcome to another episode of No Finish Line podcast featuring athlete interviews and discussion on running, training, traveling and adventure. In this episode, I'm talking to Jan Corcoran. Jan runs with La Cale Athletics Club. She's primarily a marathon runner, but is now training or focusing on the ultramarathon. She has recently finished second in the National 50km Championships in Donadee with a new PB of 3 hours, 34 minutes and 14 seconds, which is the international A standard. And she is going to be running in the Anglo-Celtic Plate 100km race in Boddington, England this coming May. And by special request, we are going to document some of her training talk about her background, where she is now, and what she's going to do up until race day. So over the coming weeks, we're going to be dipping in and out of what she's doing and try and follow her progress, ask her what she's going to be doing, what she has done, and what her targets and plans are for the race. John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. John, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, no problem. Um, well, I suppose to say I'm 40 years of the young side. Um, and as you said earlier on, I train with La Cayla Athletics Club in Leaksup in County Kildare. Um, I started running about six years ago and I finished my first marathon in 2015 in a time of 3.43.44. Since then, I've run about 11 marathons and my personal best time is now 2.52.39, which I achieved in 2019 um, Dublin Marathon. Also then in 2019, I ran my first ultramarathon the Donaday 50k as suggested by my coach and I also then finished second with a time of 3.52.10. Thinking then that I could run this faster um, I took part in it again this year and I finished with a new personal best of 3.34.14 again in second place. This result now has given me an international B standard for the 50k and I've now been selected to represent Ireland in the 100k race in England this coming May called the Anglo-Celtic Place. How many marathons have you ran? I've ran 11 marathons to date. What was the time of your first marathon and what was your progression being like? Um, my first marathon was 3.43.44 and um, since then it's kind of progressed down from that so I've kind of gone from down to 3.30s, then 3.25s, 3.15 and just recently there in Dublin in 2019 um, I'd done a big jump then to 2.52.39 so which was a, a huge achievement for me because I've been trying for a couple of times to get a sub three but kept getting close to it but never actually getting to that point it was like 301 or something like that so um i just put in a lot more training a lot more specific training to get me into um into the, i suppose to that sub three kind of barrier that was kind of that hard and everything just fell into place i felt great and it was really funny kind of near at the end of it i felt like i could have kept going afterwards so i knew i had done everything and then when i seen the the 252 on the clock um i could have nearly cartwheeled over the the finish line i was so delighted to to finally hit that barrier and at such a a big jump back down to 252 as well and what was your previous pb before the 252 it was 304 so that's a massive jump yeah and looking back at your first marathon that was 343 that's an above average finish time how long were you running before that marathon 
I only started running about six years before that. Um, I suppose I started running as well when my grandfather wasn't well um, and it was kind of it was hitting me quite hard and I couldn't get out to playing soccer or tag rugby like I used to be doing. So um, a friend of mine just said to me, oh, why don't you go for just a run or something like that? Um, and off I went and started running. And then I said, God, this actually isn't so bad. It's quite nice getting out. It just cleared the head. Um, so I felt that it helped me through a lot of that. Um, then my sister-in-law then asked me, would I like to join a running club um, down where I used to live, down near Mullingar? And I thought, a running club? Good God, no, I'm not going down to a running club. Um, it's going to be crazy it's going to all these athletes that do crazy times and stuff like that there's no way I'll fit in so after a lot of nagging she got me down and god the rest they say is history I fell in love with it then a lot of people feel that same way when they first the dimension of a running club and if they take the chance and actually going along and joining or taking part in the session they realize that it's totally different than what they expected and I suppose in your case, for you making that step, it's after opening up a lot of possibilities. Yeah, that's true. Because when you first do hear about it, it is, especially when you don't come from a running background or anything like that, that you'd kind of go, oh, these are all going to be elites. You see them on the TV. This is what it's going to be like. But it was actually it was actually the opposite to that. There was quite a mixture. There was coach or couch to 5Ks. And then, yes, there were obviously sprinters there as well, half marathoners, marathoners as well. Um, there was actually no ultra marathoners at, at that club that I was at. Um, but even at that, for me, it was just if I could run 5K and not have to stop, I was quite happy. Although my fitness was, I felt, was really good. It was obviously a different type of fitness because it was soccer that I played and tag rugby. So you're kind of you're running you're stopping you're running something so you don't you think that you can just keep running like everybody else but yeah it's it's a different kind of breed I suppose for doing it and then I did get there in the end and I suppose the rest of the say is history and how did the soccer come about Oh, anything I could have done. Uh, I just loved soccer. Just loved it. It was my grandfather that got me into it. He was a huge Man United fan, as am I. Um, so he used to bring me to all the games. And I just loved playing it. I'd be out on the, the road playing with the lads. Probably the only girl actually playing with all the lads on the on the fields and stuff like that. And I just loved it. Um, just got me out of the house. I had always, I suppose, from a young age, been very active. So I suppose it was my way of my grandparents getting me to burn off some energy by chucking me out the door. And why did you stop the soccer? Because when you started, there there probably weren't the same opportunities for playing soccer, but now it's a lot more inclusive. Yeah, I suppose there wasn't. And it was kind of, I suppose, I'd had a knee injury um, that kind of knocked me back as well. Um, and I kind of was saying, OK, if I come back out here again and I get another injury, um, it could wreck that I might not be able to walk again or anything like that. So I was just told to be careful. And um, because I was playing at such a high level, um, I suppose that was kind of the reason why I, the fear kind of went in, where when I was younger, I would have went in hard. Um, the bigger bigger you are the harder you fall that was the way I seen it so when I started to get that little bit of fear of someone coming in on top of me um, I knew then it was time to to maybe hang it up but then to go into the coaching side of things instead um, which is what I ended up doing coaching um, little leagues and and stuff like that so still keep the passion of it there and I love watching it and when I watch the, the Irish ladies out there doing it as well 
I do feel like I, I'd love to be still on the pitch um, running around doing it as well but I suppose you can't do everything with the running as well you have to obviously to be careful what you're doing and I suppose that experience of playing soccer then getting involved with the coaching and training that actually transferred across into your running when you took that up yeah, and it was kind of, it was good. It kind of gave me the discipline of that you, you turn up for training. If you don't turn up for training, you don't play. So I suppose I kind of brought that mentality then into the running that if I don't turn up and I don't train, I'm not going to get the times that I'm putting in. Um, I can't expect to run a 252 marathon if I don't train. So um, I kind of brought that mentality with me. And then as well, I suppose, from the coaching side of things, um, I just enjoyed it. It was a passion that I have and still have that I felt that, well, look, if I could bring on any other younger little girls or boys and bring them up, because obviously things have changed now as well. And for the better, thankfully, that um, to get them and keep them enthusiastic, because I suppose social media and computers and stuff are starting to take over. And it's it's sad to see because you don't get as many kids running around like I was when I was um, younger out playing as well they're all kind of locked indoors playing and not actually talking to each other so it's a good social thing as well getting people back out. Yeah it's great and then we have the likes of the 20 by 20 movement which is doing wonders now for raising the profile of women in sport and encouraging participation and not just participation but also spectation and getting people involved in all different levels. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, and I think it's a great movement. Um, it's something that probably should have started definitely um, or would have been even great if it had been around when I was playing. Um, but it's great that it's there now. Um, yeah, there are uh, things are changing and I think that it should be fair that it's equal for men and women, no matter what um, sport it is that, that you're playing as well. So it's a huge initiative and uh, hopefully it'll go um, really, really well. As you mentioned, it is great that it started and it could have started earlier. It just takes somebody to make that change. I always tell a story of a broken footpath behind where I live, heading in towards the park where the footpath ends and then you have to walk across some grass. So if it's raining, your feet always get muddy. But I just accepted it as did everybody else. Then one day I went around to the park and the footpath was fixed and continued. The reason it got fixed was because somebody phoned the council to say, when are you ever going to sort the problem out with the footpath? They weren't aware that the footpath hadn't been completed and it took somebody to actually let them know. And as soon as they did, that's it, it was sorted. And the same with movements like this, that it just takes somebody to actually say, not wait for somebody else to actually do something, but to get out and start the ball rolling themselves. And it's just, it's, it's phenomenal the way it's grown. Yeah, and I think it is. It's a good thing, and um, maybe especially for the, the soccer ladies as well. That like not being able to swap jerseys or having to still work full time while playing, um, and then not getting paid if they have to go off on trips and flying economy class and and stuff like that. When you get the male players going out and getting to fly first class or whatever it is, and getting full kits and not having to work, um, it would be nice if it if if it came that everything was equal it'll take time but hopefully that day will come now let's get back to the marathons now with your first marathon as you mentioned 343 what was your target going into that race um well myself and my friend um amy we had both said this is our first marathon okay we'll go we'll do four hours yeah we'll definitely do four hours and we trained for that 
But on the day, I think the two of us were like two hyper little bunnies going into it. We didn't know what was happening, where we were going. We were just kind of following the crowd and um, we just felt really good. I suppose it was great that we were both running together as well. Um, and there was a few others from the club that were running. And we'd all said that if at any stage we weren't feeling any way good, that uh, we'd all talk to each other after every 10k and then if we weren't feeling it we'd pull back but not to hold anybody back so myself and Amy we just kept going and uh, we just kept getting faster and faster and we were thinking god we're going to burn up here now and we better be careful Um, but thankfully we didn't and we both crossed the line together in 343 44 and yeah it was a great day and a great experience for my first marathon as well. So you must have been tra- training with a fairly strong group of a few of you finished around that time. Yeah, there was a few of us that trained every week um, together. We'd be doing long runs down the canals, um, anywhere that we could find. Because I suppose where we lived down in Delvin, there wasn't um, a lot of running tracks or run safe places to run. So a lot of it was done on the canal and we'd meet there. And it was kind of like a social event as well. So there'd be quite a gang of us going out all at different paces. Um, we'd start at the same place and then we'd head out however far it was and come back and then there'd be tea and biscuits in the back of the car that was our incentive to get back so um yeah so it was a good good bunch of people and with that first race did you target a time or did the time just happen the time just happened because as I said, like we were aiming for the four hour mark. And even at that, we probably thought we were trying to overachieve it because it was our first one. We didn't know what to expect because I suppose when I done my first half marathon um, at that stage, I'd only started. I was only training up to 10 miles. And one of the a couple of the guys when we were running along the canal said, oh, you'd be able for a half marathon. No problem. It's only three extra miles. No, no, no bother to you. So I yeah, said, oh, that sounds good. Yeah, I'll go ahead and I'll do that. Um, and I registered for the Clontarf Half Marathon. And off I went with my friend Fleur, who was uh, pacing me first to get me through it. And oh my goodness, I thought I was going to die. I thought it was the end of the world. I was like, who on earth runs these half marathons and then runs a second part of that to run a marathon? Um, I just thought this is the end. And I finished it in two hours, but that was it. I was retiring. That was the end of it. I said, those extra three miles near killed me. But that was just me going into it underprepared, thinking that, oh, sure, it's only three miles. Sure, I can just go and I can do it. Um, But I suppose that retiring didn't last that long because, only about a week after I'd signed up for Dublin (laughs) so I said I'm going to give this another track and that's when I decided right training needs to be serious now I don't want to feel as ill as I did after my first half marathon. You ran two by half marathons faster than that half marathon Clonderf. Yeah and I think that just went down to just pure and utter determination not to be feeling ill afterwards so I put the training in where before for the half marathon I went into it while I was trained I was only trained up to 10 miles at that stage so those extra three miles definitely made a difference so I was just a lot more structured in what I was doing right so as you said you put the training in and that's the first clue to how you started improving in the beginning you were looking to just complete the distance you were finding that a bit of an effort and then when you started to get a bit more specific with the training you started to see the results your next marathon, was that Dublin the following year or did you do something in between the two? No, that was Dublin then the, the following year again. And I'd done that one then. I think it was 3.30. Um, 
Um, yeah, so I had jumped um, down quite a bit then. Um, so that was more, obviously, of the, the structured training. I went maybe from three days a week of training, then it was going up to four and five days a week of training and a lot more kind of intervals. It wasn't just, oh, I'm putting on my runners and going for a run. It was a lot more structured. And when did you decide or when did you think that you might have the ability to target sub three hours? I suppose that was when I joined La Cayla. Um when I was up and I was going onto the track. I always had this, everybody kept talking about this sub tree, this sub tree. And I kept saying, God, I wonder, could I ever do that? Um, and I just kind of, as my time started getting down, kind of going from down to 325s, then 315s, I was like, God, this isn't, I'm actually seem to be knocking off a fair bit of time here. Um, if I really start to focus now on pace, um, getting a bit faster, maybe I could do it. But you're always still nervous of that extra bit of distance that, God, w- will you actually be able to do it? But my 10K times, my half marathon times, they all seem to be adding up to that. Well, if I can keep this pace going, then it will hopefully then happen on the day because you don't know on the day weather wise what could happen if you're feeling ill um, whatever it might be anxious um, anything like that that could just get in the way um, but thankfully um, everything for Dublin last year then just went my way um, I felt very comfortable throughout as I said um, earlier on that it was just that I could have kept running afterwards um, thankfully I didn't have to but uh, I could have kept uh, running afterwards and I suppose no that your family as well waiting for you at the end um, is also then a big incentive plus I suppose you have to have um, a bit of confidence and then belief in yourself as well because while I was doing all the, the training I'd done all the hard work so I knew I could do it so a lot of it then does come back to your head not just your fitness that mentally that you can prepare for it as well and believe that you can do it you've done the training it'd be different if I hadn't done any of the training and went out saying oh I'm going to get a sub three and then get disappointed if I didn't get it but the fact that I knew I'd put the training in I'd done all the hard work it was just now I just had to deliver on the day. And that was in 2019 at the end of October. So let's talk a little bit about that year. How was 2019 from January up to October? What races did you do and how were you able to measure your progress? Um, I suppose for the first one for 2019 was when I'd done the Donna Day 50k. Um, it was my first time actually to do it. Um, so it was a bit kind of um, wary, I suppose, going into it because it was a distance that I'd never done before. Um, so it was kind of you were nervous, you were rocking up to the start line with people who had done this multiple times. Now, I, I And what made you attempt 50k? That was down to my coach. Uh, he had said to me, God, I think you might be good at doing 50K. Would you be interested in, in doing it? First of all, I thought he was mad. I was like, where is he going with this 50K? That's I didn't want a whole um, kind of reminder of my first half marathon. Oh, it's only an extra so long after a marathon that you can do it. So I suppose the fear kind of jumped in for, for looking back at that. But then I kind of sat down and I said, well, no, look, I've actually, my training is a lot better. It's a lot more structured. Um, if I train to do that way, do a lot of recce courses there as well. Um, why can't I do it? That was kind of what went into my head then is, is that no, sure, look, you can do it. You've done, you've gotten over barriers before. You can do this one as well. Um, so I said, okay, let's go and we'll, we'll tackle it. And 
thankfully now I have to say when I was running through it and the guy on the commentary kept saying and second lady was was me I was kind of thinking good god I've gone way too fast here what am I doing up here I shouldn't be up in second place this is only my first um, ultramarathon um, so I kind of did get a bit anxious and it caused me to get um, a stitch as well through it because I was panicking that I was going too fast um, and but then thankfully then I just I, I came in and I was second lady and and I'd completed my first ultramarathon. And what was your finish time for that? And um, that was two or three fifty two. Now I need to add a little bit of a disclaimer in here because I'm your coach and I don't want to make it sound like I'm leading with questions for you to say things kind of steer towards me. But I suppose it'll probably be beneficial if I start adding in a few of my own thoughts and ideas as to what you're doing, what you were doing and what I'm seeing and how we communicate each other to get the best possible performance out of yourself. Would you agree? Yeah, that would be agreeable. Now for the 50k, I found that when you were doing a lot of your endurance-based sessions that you seem to finish them very, very strongly. So I think that's why I was suggesting that you were doing the 50k. I had predicted that you were going to run faster on that day. And if you remember... When you did your first two laps, you were going too fast and I kind of pulled you up on it saying you were going too fast. But you said, no, I'm going at the pace that we're supposed to be going at. And I said, you can't be. But you were losing satellite coverage Mm -hmm. and that was messing up things with your watch. So it was very, very hard to get the pacing right. And those first two laps probably did kind of catch up on you towards the end. But we still got a good race out of it. Yeah. And I, and I think that that was what it was. And then it was my first time doing it as well. And I suppose like any other race, when you go into it, uh, once you start off and you get caught up with some people, you start going a lot faster than you should be. So I am definitely learning now to be a lot more disciplined and um, with pace that if somebody wants to go off faster than me, let them off um, and then eventually, hopefully I'll, I'll catch them or um, they realize that they've gone too fast themselves. That was early February. Your next race then was? I'd done Limerick Marathon then. Um, and that went very well. God, it was a very hot day um, on that day. Unexpectedly hot day for Ireland, that is, as well. Um, and I went into that. And that was my target to get um, to the three-hour mark. Unfortunately, it didn't happen there. It was it was a new course for me as well. I'd never done a Limerick before. Um, a lot of twists and bends up and down on paths and stuff that I probably wouldn't be used to. Like for Dublin, it's, it's all on road. So it, it's good to go. Um, the heat definitely was a factor for me. I felt that um, the wheels kind of came off. I it was I suppose it was my own fault. I wasn't taking on enough um, water. Um, so I'd say the hydration kind of got to me and upset my stomach slightly. Um, while I did come in fourth, um, I definitely knew going into that race, I would have poss- possibly came close to a sub three um, if I'd have just gotten the nutrition right and had taken a gel probably a little bit earlier as well. So, and I ended up doing 3.04. That's still a very respectable time. And what was your finish time for the marathon previous to that day, Dublin 2018? Um, it was 3.15. Okay, that's, that's a good jump. Now, on the day of Limerick, we had predicted that you were going to run sub-3. And I was kind of surprised when you didn't get it at the end. And then when we went looking back over your Garmin, we did notice that your stride length was starting to falter towards the end. So that gave us a clue that we needed to work a bit more on your strength but we also had to consider that the reason for your stride length 
shortening was because of all those twists and turns because you were having to slow down going into the turns and then try and speed up coming out of them again so that could have had an effect on your performance throughout the race would you agree with that yeah i'd agree because there was there was definitely for a marathon there was definitely a lot more turns than normal and the fact that they were quite narrow also then as well you kind of had to overcome the fact that the half marathon came in on top of the marathon as well so you had all these fresh legs running um like hairs from the start and you were kind of um out of place you didn't kind of know what was happening i suppose at that stage who was marathon who was half marathon um so it was bit chaotic for part of it as well when we were kind of colliding into each other and um, so that possibly as well had a, a knock-on effect to it as well and then following on from that we started to work a bit more in your stride length and cadence while running on the track and that has made a big difference yeah i've definitely noticed that and i've even felt it then just even in the legs as well from the different types of training sessions that they're stronger um i'm able to hold the pace a lot longer than say i probably would have been able to beforehand as well after Limerick, how did you recover in the week after that? Or did you need recovery? Um, I didn't really feel like I needed a whole lot of recovery. Um, I suppose my own downfall is is that I just want to get back out and start training again. Um, so this is something obviously for the 100k now I'm learning is is that recovery is key. Um, so I suppose after races, I don't really seem to be affected too much. I seem to be able to just go into another training block pretty easy um, and uh, as well and thankfully injury free as well. Albeit, yeah, sometimes the legs might disagree agree they might say to me uh, oh no you need to to rest um or anything like that but um i find just kind of getting back out just doing even slow runs is quite good just to keep the legs moving would you think that because you're enjoying it so much and you're doing well that maybe the running is making you happy and you might be feeling that you don't need recovery so you're kind of masking what's going on underneath do you think that you might be doing a little bit too much too soon after a race yeah, that can happen sometimes as well as where you might feel great after race because you're on a high, especially if you're after getting like a, a, your time PB for whatever um, distance it is or whatever time it was that you are on a high. So it, you do mask it and you just go out and then you possibly then overtrain and then that's where you can get an injury. Um, so this is all stuff that I'm learning as I'm going along is, is that, yeah, you need to recovery is part of the training and not to think that just because I take a rest day that I'm being lazy um and that's kind of one thing that i've definitely started to learn is, is because i used to feel guilty if i took a day off and i'd be saying to myself god i should be out running or you'd look at strava and see somebody else that did the same race as out running and you're like well, why shouldn't i be out running and um, so you just i suppose people just need to be careful of that as well everybody is different and everybody has their own goals and whatever it is that they're trying to achieve but if you don't take that recovery then it will come back to bite you um, either through injury or you just hit a brick wall. And then you don't want to have that where you're going to be off for a week for training because then you'd just be miserable then if obviously if you're just sitting at home as well. So um, I definitely think recovery is key. And in between the Limerick Marathon and the Dublin Marathon of 2019, did you have any good performance indicators that would suggest that, yes, yeah, sub three could possibly happen this time? Yeah, I was doing um, the Dublin race series as well um, in the lead up to it. So I had done the 10K. I'd got a 10K PB there as well um, in 38 minutes. Um, so I knew that that was a great and um, kind of indicator that things were going in the right way. And what month was that? That was in July. 
And then in the August then I had done the race series then 10 mile as well. And I'd also done really well in that as well. I think it was 107 then I'd come in on that and like that as well. I felt great kind of coming in. I suppose they were all indicators and kind of a, a bit of a confidence booster um, saying, OK, these are the times that my coach is saying to me that you should aim to hit um, and then hopefully that they would come out and, and thankfully then that they did. Um, and then I suppose the only other ones then after that, I didn't do the, the half marathon this year. Um, I went on holidays instead for my birthday, uh, which was uh, I was a bit nervous about, but actually probably was a good thing that I, I did take that week off. Um, well, now, well, I was still running while I was away, um, but um, I wasn't kind of hitting into a race. So I probably came back a lot more refreshed than I thought it was going to be. I think that's fine because... You had a reason rather than an excuse not to be doing the race. And plus, there was a want to do it. So mentally, that still keeps you sharp. And with the other races, your 10K and your 10 mile, the best indicator of future performance is performance. And it's a good idea to take part in these shorter races because it gets you used to experience the emotions and the preparation that you will have to go through for race day. And you also get to meet other people who might have the same kind of targets and goals as yourself. You will chat them at the finish line and you will get to know how their training is going and whether they feel that they're on track and you can just kind of bounce off each other and share ideas. Yeah, and I think and the race series is uh, an excellent idea because it's they're very well placed. They're like a month apart from each other in the lead up to the Dublin Marathon. So they are good indicators for people who are trying to um, get a PB or whatever it might be. And as well, they're not just around for, for people who are doing the marathon. Anybody can do them as well. And there's always a really good crowd. So it does give you that indication of what race day might be like for your first half marathon or for your first marathon and prepping like for what you're going to eat um before you're doing the race as well and and stuff like that so yeah they're definitely and a great social event then for afterwards because you're you're meeting everybody and, and new people afterwards and they progress nicely with the distance as well yeah and it's perfect and it, and they fit well into a plan as well so if you had a 16 week marathon plan and um, these would all be indicators that you should be aiming to try and get that it's not just that you're going out running all the time it is nice to throw in the odd race to kind of give you that extra bit of a push that you're not just um and then as well it's good that you're with other people even if you don't know them the fact that knowing that somebody else is running there beside you going through the same pain that you are um kind of gives you a bit of a, a boost <laughs> in a way to to keep going so the signs were good leading up to the Dublin Marathon did you feel that that created an extra pressure or expectation because I'm sure that everyone talking to you was telling you were going to smash it and get it and do this and do that yeah, I suppose because I had a lot of people looking at me as well and a lot of people then even on social media saying what my runs were going to be and saying, oh, you're definitely going to do it. You're definitely. So there is that bit of added pressure onto it as well. And you're kind of you're thinking to yourself, oh, God, what if I don't do it? Um, all these people are going to be looking at me and saying, um, oh, like, why didn't it happen? Why didn't it happen? So I suppose on the day I just had to think of just going into my own little happy pace and just thinking that, OK, I've done the training here and now I want to um, to see what I can do. See, can I actually put what I've done in training into the race? Um, and thankfully that that's what happened. And were you nervous going into the race? Um, I wouldn't say I was really nervous. Um, 
I went into it, not even cocky, but I just went into it going, I know what I've done now. Confident. It's yeah, not confident. cocky if you've done the work. Yeah, exactly. And I knew it. And then I just kept on being, I suppose, practicing kind of mindful things just to say, no, you've done it. You can do it. This is it's up to you now. Um, and when I went into it, it was great meeting, obviously, up with my um, club mates as well. And the encouragement from everybody from the club as well and family and friends um, was great. Um, but yeah, you definitely still have that doubt in the back of your head that you're trying to lock down to make sure that it doesn't creep in to say, oh, if I have a, a bad mile here, that this is going to happen. So what I practiced, I suppose, this time around was I didn't look at my watch as much um, because I found that if I looked at my watch and I seen that I was going slightly faster, whether it be two seconds faster or slower even, that I'd be like, oh, I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to get it. Um, I kind of just set myself little target spots that known when I'd done the reckeys of that route okay get to here how am I feeling right now we'll push to the next part and we'll push to the next part um so that's kind of what I did I just done more that I was focusing on what I was doing in that moment um rather than kind of thinking of the finish line or what happened in the last kilometer because there's nothing that I can do from the last kilometer it's done um I just have to keep going and then hope for the best um, but then when I got past Heartbreak Hill and I met a clubmate of mine, wife, and she was giving me one of my electrolyte drinks, I kind of knew, oh, God, this is where last year I wasn't feeling great, but I'm actually feeling really good here. And um, it kind of gave me a little bit of a confidence booster. And I just started to pick it up. And then it was only as I was kind of coming towards the RDS, um, I decided right now I'm going to have a, a quick look at my watch. And I seen the time and I thought I thought I was seeing things that I was hallucinating when I seen the, the time on the clock. Um, but then I suppose the excitement of knowing that my family were going to be there as well um, and that they were waiting. And they said that if I didn't come in on under the three hours that I was walking home. So I said, right, well, I better not uh, be late getting in. I said, or I'll be walking home or having to buy them drinks that evening. So um, I put the foot down and then knowing that they were, I knew where they were going to be standing as they, they do every year. Um, and just the excitement of seeing them and the finish line and actually realizing that I'm actually going to do this and uh, running through and thinking that it's that it's that all my hard work and sacrifices have actually paid off. And um, to say I was over the moon was an understatement. I think I hugged every Dublin Marathon person there was afterwards. <laughs> and when you stood on the start line, what time did you have in your head? I had 2.59. That was what was in my head, 2.59, even though my coach had other ideas. In my head, I just said, if I see 2.59.59, I'd be delighted. But I suppose deep down, maybe I was hoping that I'd, I would definitely the 2.55 mark. And did you start with the pacers? No, I stayed away from the pacers at the start because it was so crowded that we couldn't actually get anywhere near them. Um, and then when the obviously the race started, it's a very kind of tight start to it. Um, so you're kind of watching your footing and everybody is running like hares at the start of it um, as well. So I tried not to get caught up on that. And now I could see the balloons. Um, so I was confident enough that I, I was on pace. And then when I passed them out, then um, I, was, I, I knew I was kind and if I was doing all right. So you were behind the pacers at the start? Yes. Okay, that's interesting. So you've actually made up a lot of time then. Now, the reason I asked that you start with the pacers is all your other sub three attempts, you must have been with the pacers for the whole race. So to attempt to go faster must have required an awful lot more self-belief. So you must have been really, really confident this time around to run most of the race on your own because 
it's a lot lonelier as you start to get faster. If you were hitting 252, chances are that when you were coming towards Heartbreak Hill, as you mentioned, there weren't as many people actually running. Most no. of the crowd was behind you. Yeah, a lot so of So did you were. find that tough? Um, I suppose I w- my way of dealing with it is is just that I would focus on somebody that was in front of me. Um, I have this thing where I won't look back um, because I just feel like I'm I'm letting it away or something that I, I'm struggling or I, I'm something like that. And I find it distracting if I was to look back. So I just keep focusing on who's in front of me as I don't care if there's 100 people beside me or one person beside me. As long as I know that if there's somebody there, um, then I'm happy enough with that. And following on from Dublin, did you have an immediate plan then or what happened next? Yeah, I always have a plan of what I'm going to do next. I nearly want to go running the next day. Um, So this time around was, okay. I want to be getting a better time in Donaghy. Um, So I said, sat down with my coach and I said, right, what are we going to do? Um, We need to get um, an international standard. Um, I wasn't, even though I was happy with my time in Donaghy last year, I knew I could have done better because I'd let so many emotions take over on the day. Um, So, and I knew then obviously I was able to handle a lot of that in the Dublin Marathon. So I wanted to take that into Donaghy as well. Plus, because of all the training I had done, I didn't want it to kind of go to waste per se. I wanted to be able to build on that to be able to get a faster time than going into Donaghy. So um, I was allowed probably about a week recovery afterwards, kind of active recovery. And then it was back into it again and, and back into the training first. But as a disclaimer, it was fairly easy for a few weeks before we transitioned into the 50k. I'm not that bad. <laughs> That's, well, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> and with the 50k in Donaghy, the target was 3.40. But as the race progressed, when we knew how you were feeling through feedback from yourself during it, we then decided, OK, we can start to pick up the pace a little bit. And you had a little bit of a mishap in that. Actually, what was the mishap we had towards the end of the race? I thought I had one more lap to go. And when you you and some of my um, friends were saying to me, this is it, this is what you, you, you this is where you make a name for yourself um, or this is your lap now, you can get her. I kept thinking, what are they talking about? This is too early. I've still got another kilometre or another 5k to go. Um, they must have miscounted when said it was actually me. When you say another 5k to go, that's 5k after the 5k loop you're just about to start. So you thought yeah. you had 10k. 10k, exactly. And you needed a toilet stop and you thought, well, I'll do it now so I'll be able to really put the foot down for the last lap. Yeah, because I was leading for a good bit of the the race. Um, The lady, um, Laura, that was in first place, she was leading for the first part of it, probably about four or five laps. And then I started to lead and all of a sudden I was like, oh, God, I need a a toilet break. What am I going to do? I was coming up to the four kilometer mark and I was thinking to myself, right, I have two choices here. I can either go to the toilet and I'll, I'll catch her um, or I can run the last lap and be in complete agony. Um, so I was just kind of like, right, I'm just going to make the decision. And I, I said I'd stop for the, the second, went to the toilet and came back out. And as I was coming up the final stretch, um, one of my teammates, Stephen, he shouted at me, this is it. Come on, you've got it. You can catch her. And I could see her up in front. And then it was only, I was like, no, I have one 
more lap to go. What are these all talking about? And then it was a random stranger. I didn't even believe my clubmates. It was a random stranger said, no, this is the last lap. And it was like somebody, it was like one of those greyhounds that had just been let loose. And I tore off through the middle of the, the track up when I realised um, and I was annoyed at myself that I had miscounted. Um, I suppose I was so in the zone that I I thought that I had that extra lap. Um, and when I came through, I still wasn't convinced that I, I had finished. It was only when the race director came over to give me a chair to sit down. <laughs> I suppose that was his way of stopping me uh, from doing another lap that I didn't need to do. Um, so in one way, I was delighted I'd got the, the time as well, um, that I had actually faster than what I had anticipated to get and that I had the feeling that I could still run another lap even though I didn't have to. And something very interesting about this is when you compared it to 2018, with two laps to go, you came over to the aid station and it was you were cramping up. It was almost as if you were going to have to stop. You needed a bit of a break. Yeah. Where this time round, you wanted to run an extra lap. Yeah. And I probably would have only for everybody was uh, coming around me and, and doing all of that and, and making me sit down and have my can of Coke. Um, so, yeah, so it was a nice feeling to be on the opposite side of that as well. So it goes to show the training that I've put in is actually paying off. And that um, when you listen to your coach, he, he is sometimes right. And that's something that you've actually said at the start of the podcast was you, you put the training in and you get the results. So if you're not doing the training, you get found out on the day. Now, I'm not saying you weren't doing the training last year, but you didn't have the same training history last year. Whereby now you had the experience and you were much better prepared. Yeah, and I suppose as well that um, I've been getting a lot more exposure as well and a lot more people are coming up to me as well. So since that's happened um, and I suppose at Donna G, because of where I was placed and I was placed second in a race like this, a national championship, I didn't think I had the right to be there, if you know what I mean. It was kind of like, oh, who who's this one just coming in? Um, she's never done an ultra and she's in second place. I kind of felt like I was stealing somebody else's place um, for better words of it. And then I was kind of like, well, no, why shouldn't I be in second place? Um, uh, why can't I be in first place? If I put in the training, um, then, yeah, it'll happen. Albeit, yeah, you can put in as much training as you want. And then on the day, it may not go that go your way. And that happens to um, whether you're just starting out or whether you're an elite athlete. Things don't go your way. But that's where I suppose you learn lessons from that and and then bring it forward into the next race. And I suppose that's what happened for last year that I brought into this race this time um, was to to learn lessons from where it went wrong. Although next time I just have to learn to count. And a big positive from this year is when you compare it to last year where you were nearly dreading the distance, now you wanted to do an extra lap and you were smiling as you were coming towards the extra lap. And that in turn means that with the 100k coming up, that mentally you are probably in a good place for that race and physically you were shown that you have the strength for it. Yeah, because even when the race director kept saying to me as I was coming through, you, you keep smiling as you're coming through. You're obviously not running hard enough. Um, so that was kind of just, a, a, I guess, a little joke that we kind of had um, as I was going through it. Um, it's definitely mentally and physically made me um, stronger, that's for sure. Um, and even just now being continuing into the training now, um, off the back of Donna Day, um, to do the, the 100k, um, like that's, it's such an honour to 
to get the call up um it's been a dream of mine to represent my country and to actually kind of get that opportunity now um is is a huge deal to me and um I want to go out there in May and not just be a name on a piece of paper I want to actually do the jersey proud and and hopefully um get a good time for it as well as part of the team and and hopefully get a medal out of it well, the signs are good, and just what you mentioned there with the smiling, that reminds me of a recent interview I did with Dr. Noel Brick, the exercise psychologist with the University of Ulster, and we were talking about the role of cognitive strategies and metacognitive processes in the regulation of endurance performance and physical activity. And one of the things that he mentioned was how smiling makes the effort feel that little bit less, and Camille Heron is someone who would be known for smiling during races and she never gives the appearance that she is suffering. Maybe you are more proof to the fact that smiling during this physical or endurance activity works. Yeah, and it's a funny thing because I notice as well at Dublin as well last year that every photo that I had, maybe apart from one, I was smiling in it and I was conscious that I was doing that to try and keep the body a little bit more relaxed. Um, And it was nearly like my cheeks were sore rather than my legs were sore um, from all the smiling as well. So I tried to to bring that into it as well. I suppose it helps relax the body a little bit. Um, And then if you're seeing other people um, running along beside you then as well, and then they see that you're smiling, it kind of nearly is a a thing for them that they're going oh god look she's uh, happy and then it kind of makes somebody else happy um so and then help maybe helps them along then as well but um hopefully it works or i just look mad when i'm running around well it's easy to smile when you're racing well it can be easier to smile when you're racing because you have an audience and you're going to smiling at them would you smile during training not the training sessions you put me through okay (laughs) we'll pass on that so looking again to the 100k that's on the 18th of May and we do have a target in mind for that which we will discuss again because we're running out of time here now at the moment and you have an appointment booked with Sharon Madigan. Sharon is Head of Performance Nutrition with the Irish Institute of Sport and maybe you let us know how you get on with her and what changes you were going to be making to your nutritional plan for training and racing and we'll also discuss some of your training sessions and we'll maybe ask you what you think is working and what is not working and what changes you've made. So, Jan, thanks very much for your time and we'll follow up on this within the next uh, week or two and we'll try and get together as often as possible to keep the Jantastic journey up to date. Yeah, thanks a million for having me, John. It's great. And if anybody wants to to follow my journey as well, um, you can follow me on my Instagram account, Facebook or Twitter by searching for at Jantastic too. Um, I'm hopefully that you guys have enjoyed it and um, sure, we can give it a go for the next one. And maybe between the two of us, we'll put some up, up on Instagram as well and we call it the hashtag Jantastic journey. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Thanks, John. Thanks, John.